Support the Amigos podcast and keep the Amiga goodness flowing for just a dollar a month. Visit our page at patreon.com slash Amigos podcast. Amiga, the first personal computer that gives you a creative edge. Amigos, the podcast about everything Amiga. Amigos is a proud member of the Throwback Network, your home for quality retro podcasts. And now, here are your hosts, Aaron Dowdy and John Bodokar Schaller. Hi everybody, welcome to Amigos. I'm John. And I'm Aaron. And today we're going to talk about Rainbow Islands. But before we do, uh, we have some feedback I'd like to share with you. Uh, Aaron... On the last Amigos podcast, you said you had not seen many Amiga demos. I've seen some, but not many. There are many, many. So Flack, our friend Rob O'Hara, uh, wrote in saying, if you'd like a great introduction to them, check out Mind Candy Volume 2. So these guys, this the, the Mind Candy crew, they actually put uh, Amiga demos onto, uh, I guess, VHS tape of uh, originally. And then they started putting them out on DVDs, but now uh, they, they're out of print, and you can actually go and download the DVD ISOs uh, directly from the Mind Candy site. Oh boy! And so it's uh, mindcandydvd.com, and uh, so we'll have to check some of those out. Maybe we'll watch some and do some commentary. Over yeah, that'll be fun. I'll <laughs> Mr. Sun's Theater of Demos. Right, <laughs> I like it. Uh, and then he also said uh, to piggyback on the suck <laughs> conversation, and that's S E U C K. Uh, the uh, the community is alive and well, and he, uh, he shared with us the same link that we got last week about the SEC UK vault. Um, but there's also another link to uh, the 2016, I guess maybe like the best of 2016 SEUCK games, uh, and that's located at tnd64.unicat.sk. Uh, so we will share that link on the um, on the on the blog. So we'll, we'll check out some of those um, shoot 'em up construction kit games. Um, so we thank you, Rob, for writing in. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Flag. And uh, this uh, next little bit I've got is not uh, directly related to something new, but it is a little bit. You know, these days VR is all the rage. Yes, my brother's going bananas for it right now. Yeah, uh, show sponsor Brent Dowdy <laughs> also is uh, bankrolling several VR companies <laughs> with his purchases. Yes. Um, and uh, but did you know that the Amiga Three Thousand had a prominent place in the history of virtual reality? I had no idea. <laughs> so uh, the uh, there was a company called Virtuality that uh, that came out. Actually, it was um, W Industries, and uh, they they put out this this machine called Virtuality Machine. And these were either sit up or sit down or uh, stand up or sit down units. Uh, and they were, you know, the first sort of um, mass produced for consumer virtual reality gaming. System that, that rings a bell with me. Where would you uh, where would you at- obtain something? Well, like I think that they were commonly found in some of the larger arcades, like Dave and Buster's or, or something like that. I think I may have used one of those. <laughs> and uh, the 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 most famous uh, one of these, I think, the, there were there were several games available, but the most famous was called Dactyl Nightmare, and it was sort of a Turok type game where mm-hmm. you were hunting you know dinosaurs. And uh, the the resolution on these screens massive, two seventy six by three seventy two per <laughs> eye. Wow. Um, and uh, the way that it worked 
is, um, you know, obviously the um, they, they didn't have the technology to put the small LCDs in front of you, so they somehow were able to use prisms and, and you know, and shoot this light coming from the monitors, you know, into the headset. Um, and uh, basically you, you were tethered to the ceiling by this thing so you could walk around a circle and you were holding this sort of a two-handed sword if you can think about like a katana grip or something like that right um and uh the your your space was calculated by where you were holding this this stick and that's where the amiga comes in so of course you know a lot of the the graphic displays were, were custom chips but they were using um an amiga 3000 to track your movement within this 3d space huh that's crazy. What year was the stuff out? Was it during the Amiga's production or what happened? 1991. So it was huh. right. I mean, right in the wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah. That, that's insane. Yeah, and so um, it said uh, this is this is all from a uh, a link from a site called uh, vrexperience.net, and somebody uh, wrote up this. Uh, I didn't put I didn't put their name in, but we'll we'll link to it on the on the podcast. But he said that the Amiga 3000 was built into a large box with two DVI graphics cards to drive the the head unit and um, a circuit board on top to read the sensors and the ring and the helmet. And so, uh, but inside of, of all the custom chips and everything, everything everything inside was a stock Amiga 3000. So um, that's uh, that's something that a lot of people don't know, yeah. you know? So uh, we could save Brent a lot of money. He could just go, he could go and buy himself an Amiga 3000. He could probably get a whole virtuosity kit for what he's paid for, the, what he's buying now. Absolutely. So uh, I just thought I'd throw that little tidbit out now that VR is the is the new hotness out there. Very interesting, Boat. What do you have for news this week, Aaron? Uh, just a couple items. Uh, I came across an article from a place called Polygon.com. I'm well well. And it was a, it was a all about a new game that's that's went up on Steam. It's called uh, 1993 Space Machine. Have you, did you read about this? Not heard of it. Um, this is, a, this is a game that was originally developed on an Amiga in 1993 uh, by four Swedish teenagers. And they pretty much had the game almost finished. Then they had a uh, uh, sort of a love. Uh, uh, one of the developers fell in love with the other. There was a big throwdown, and the group just sort of went their separate ways, and the, uh, and the game just laid. It laid on the guy's Amiga, and it got put up in his loft or whatever. And then, uh, uh, I guess a year or so ago, he he was up there doing something. He found this Amiga. And they went to work. They put it back together. They've they've made a uh, a version to put up on Steam, and it's began. It's uh, started selling. This was released as a demo back in the old days on Yamita called uh, called of all things. I love the name of this Shenandoah, daughter daughter of the stars. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> with a with a title like that, why'd they change it? <laughs> But uh, basically, the the, the uh, hook is, it's an old school uh, shooter, and it looks. If you look at the, uh, I haven't played it. Uh, it's on Steam. I'll probably end up getting it. Uh, it looks a lot. It looks just like something from the Amiga. I mean, is just, it vertical, uh, horizontal? It, it's horizontal. Okay. Um, kind of an R type sort of thing. Yeah, but it looks. I mean, it's hard to say. It looks like an Amiga game, but it looks just like an Amiga game. Mm-hmm, the pilot and everything. I don't know how they. I don't know if they ported it. I don't know if it's an emulation thing. I don't. Know, I, I don't think it's emulation. I'm holding out and hoping that they actually release the, an Amiga version of this, since it was developed on the Amiga and he's got the code sitting around. I haven't read anything that says he will, but uh, fingers crossed. But it looks great. 
and it's up on Steam, and uh, we'll link the uh, article off. So, but it was a, it's an interesting article to see what happened with these four people. Uh, but uh, the game looks good. So, you know, if you're into that sort of thing, give it a shot. Um, <clears throat> just another little tidbit. I uh, We did get a confirmed release date on the, the Defender of the Crown Extended Collector's Cut. We mentioned last week that uh, uh, it was close to having a confirmed date, and it is, which is uh, uh, it's due out um, April 20th, so just a few weeks away. So um, he's got about, they I say he, but they, they have just over 200 left. I would um, surmise that once the release dates hit, these will go like hotcakes. Yeah, once people see that they're actually shipping. And I'm looking at a picture of all the stuff that's in it now, with the postcards and all this, it's it looks tremendous. And I'm not again, I'm not just saying that. Like we're not we're not getting any jack from uh, Cinemaware. But uh, if you're a Cinemaware fan, this is better than the box you would have bought when you the box. I mean, this leg's got it all. So uh, it's not really that expensive either. I think it's a good deal. Uh, well, I'll probably throw in and get one. Uh, but uh, you've got a little time. But uh, I wouldn't hold hold too long. You're gonna lose it. Um, that's pretty much all I've got uh, this month, Boat. It was a light, or this week, this month. Like, we're doing these <laughs> monthly uh, this week. It's a pretty light week. But uh, um, definitely check out that uh, Shenandoah demo. Uh, it's available everywhere on the Amiga, and you can kind of get a taste of what's going to be on that Steam, Steam okay. game. Sounds good. Um, this week we've got uh, kind of a mini review of one of the most popular utilities on the Amiga, uh, Deluxe Paint, or D-Paint. Um and uh, the reason why we're, we're going to talk about it is uh, we have um, a special guest, Will Williams, who is going to come on and uh, talk to us about his expertise with D-Paint. Um, but it was um, very highly regarded. It was one of the first killer apps for the Amiga when it was released. Um, you know, when, we, when you think about classic computers and their killer apps, you know, Apple II was VisiCalc. Uh, the, the IBM PC was Lotus 123. These are not artistic endeavors. You know, these are not artistic utilities. But, uh, you know, the first, uh, the first PC, arguably, that to, um, to really, you know, try and uh, net artists. You know, the Macintosh maybe, but that little black and white screen probably didn't do a whole lot for a lot of people. Um, <laughs> the uh, deluxe paint really wowed people. I always think about that shot of uh, King Tut's coffin <laughs> the very famous shot you know the funny thing if you look at, at deluxe paint i, I i've used I, mean, I like everyone that had an amiga used d paint or at least saw the fruits of someone else's labor on it uh, but if you think back uh, this the original deluxe paint came, uh, came out all the way back in november of 85 so not too long after the launch of 1000 i did a little uh, digging because i'm not familiar with the history of this particular utility i knew of, i knew of it obviously uh, it began as an in-house uh, tool called Prism, uh, and I guess it was from the guys that made that were you know from Commodore and the guys who were developing for the Amiga, and eventually they ended up uh, they basically had EA take it over, and EA released it for, uh, after that. Um, the uh, they released it for ten years from '85 to '95. They went through. Uh, I think it was all the way up to a uh, D Paint Five. Mm -hmm. um, they released versions for the Apple II and DOS and the Atari ST, uh, which is kind of neat. Uh, from what I was able to tell, D Paint Four was the uh, 
problem child of the five. It was very buggy and had some issues. Uh, I so. think they actually uh, had to create a, a 4.5 maybe to uh, <laughs> to address those. Um, the uh, I was telling Boat earlier we were talking about it, and uh, I, one of the things I dug up was that it, they used they they used uh, the uh, main character in uh, Monkey Island. His name uh, was basically. Uh, derived from the uh, save file, one of the save files or one of the uh, storage files out of D-Paint, mm-hmm. which I thought was kind of wacky. Um, here And just a couple other wacky things that just happened to come up while I was digging. There's a, <laughs> I haven't watched this yet, but I got to. It's a, there's a mu- music video from 2003 called Move Your Feet <laughs> by the duo Junior Seniors. And it was made entirely with D-Paint, allegedly. Wow. And then something I've really got to look into uh, they used D-Paint for the graphics in the 1989 film Murder on the Moon, starring uh, Brigitte Nielsen. I think this was a BBC movie. Apparently it was released with some fanfare at the time. It was a TV movie, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also called like Werewolves in Space or Werewolves <laughs> on the Moon as a werewolf connection. Is there an MST3K no, somewhere? No, there's not, mm-hmm. but there should be. <laughs> And, uh, and having Bridget Nelson in there seals the deal. So, uh, you know, D-Paint obviously was used in a lot of stuff. It was used in all the games. It was used, you know, it was used in everything, and it was around forever. Uh, and uh, uh, it deserves some recognition. It, it did a good job with it. I mean, it wasn't that hard to use. I mean, I used it pretty, pretty easily. I wouldn't do anything massive. Uh, and the, and when I switch over to the PC. D Paint gave you enough of a bounce up to where you could jump into a, 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 you know the more modern PC stuff when they came out and not be completely lost. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, it's a it's a far cry from using Windows Paint, for example. Uh, D Paint crushed that for years and years, and and Microsoft right, and the PC itself couldn't compete with just the sheer graphical abilities of the Amiga to put anything better out for the longest time. Right, right. Well, we've got an interview that we're gonna splice in right now uh, with Will Williams. Uh, and he's going to talk a little bit more about his Amiga memories and Deluxe Paint. All right, hi everybody. We're back, and uh, we have a special guest this week uh, on the uh, on the line. We've got Will Williams, and uh, we're going to just talk some um, some Deluxe Paint. So, uh, Will, tell us about uh, before we we get into the uh, the actual software talk. Tell us about your Amiga experience. What was your first Amiga? Hi. Um, yeah, so I guess it was, I think it was about 1988. Um, I originally come from Perth in Western Australia, and there was a, uh, a little computer shop, uh, sort of a hole-in-wall computer shop um, that was an Amiga dealer. And my, my brother-in-law, he took me in there one day, and um, I see FA-18 Interceptor running on an A500. And uh, I think at that point, my mind was just blown. I mean, I didn't even know this was possible. I had friends that uh, had C64s and that, but I'd never seen anything like this. So I guess that was, that was my first experience to an Amiga. Um, but, you know, it wasn't until I think about 90, 92, 93 that I actually got my first uh, first Amiga. And well, was, it a, was it a 500 or 1200? Um, it was a 500 plus. Oh, so okay. I had the, uh, I think it was Kickstart 204 um, with one mega chip RAM. Um, and so, yeah, and I, and over the course of years, I upgraded that. I, I, I stuck an A570 on it and, um, put a, put an extra mega, uh, fast RAM in, in the, in the slot. So yeah, it was, uh, I, I beefed it up a little bit as I went along. It's funny that 
we we mentioned many many podcasts ago. Well, we didn't know anyone that had an Amiga 500 plus, and they must not have been out much. And now everyone we talked to has had an Amiga 500 plus. So we'll, we were wrong. Obviously, they're everywhere. Yeah, I, I think it was pretty limited because I grew up in the UK. Uh, I went to school in the UK, and uh, it was they, they were big over there. That with the 600 and the 1200, that was kind of the scene for them. Now, do you at this point do you have a British or Australian accent? Um, now it's just kind of a, I'm kind of a mess at the minute. It's, uh, I've been in the States for about 14 years. So oh. uh, <laughs> I've got the Australian, the English and the American all, all merging together. <laughs> so, um, now were you an artist? I mean, have you, have you always been an artist and did you buy the Amiga, you know, solely to, you know, for artistic purposes? Um, no, I wasn't. I, okay. So my first, my first real computer was a Commodore 64. And um, I only had that for about eight months until I got an Amiga. And at that point, you know, I just want to play all the latest games. I'm seeing all my mates with these, you know, these playing Shadow of the Beast and everything. And uh, I, I just wanted to play some games. And so then I get into the Amiga and I, I start using it and I've got access to um, not really the most legit software. And so I, was, I had, a, had a good resource of software. And I was seeing all these demos, and I was getting really inspired. I was seeing all these people making uh, making all these this cool stuff from their homes on the computer that I had. And so at that point, I I ended up with a copy of Deluxe Paint, and uh, I started, uh, I guess, mimicking a lot of the the work that I was seeing out there in, in the demo scene and and in some of the games. Oh, great. Um, so. Tell us about, you know, some of your early experiences with Deluxe Paint. What were some of the first things that you created? Um, so I, I guess there was, there was one artist that was that was pretty inspiring. I think it was Eric Schwartz. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he did some of the uh, the Super Frog. Uh, he was the concept artist on uh, yeah. that game. For the, in, the intro for that, too. And he, did, he was famous for the Squirrel, I believe, among other things little animations he did he's very very well known yeah yeah so i was um i was following uh, a lot of his style and uh, and using a lot of the animation techniques that he was doing and i was and i was at a, that actually then formed part of my portfolio that i, I went off to, to to get my first gig um and so that was yeah that was that was my first real sort of pixel art uh experience i guess now, um, as far as the other, you know, drawing programs, did, were you, uh, you know, on the C64 or anything like that, had you used drawing programs before? I, I tried. Um, I can't for the life of me remember what it was. I was, I was going back over that today, and I, I did do something, but it was, it, it just seemed so crude and rudimentary um, on the C64. And, but then just seeing the Amiga, that's just when it finally sort of clicked for me. Yeah. Now, when you were drawing, did you buy, did they have, you know, kind of Wacom-like tablets that you draw on, or were you just all drawing with the mouse? Uh, all mouse. I, I saw those tablets out there, and I, I used to drool over them in an Amiga format. Um, but, yeah, I was, I was never able to afford one of those. Mm. I, I, I guess they were probably much more expensive than a, an equivalent tablet today, weren't they? Yeah, I, I think so. And I think they were really specialized. Um I'm not sure that they worked with all software. I think they were, they they came packaged with with some art packages. Oh, okay. Now, one question I've got: so you say you uh, got your Amiga in somewhere in '92. Um, at that point, Deluxe Paint had been out for quite a while, and uh, I guess the 
I'm wondering if, if you looked at the PC to see what kind of equivalent uh, art programs were available. Did you was there was the PC at that point had they caught up to the Amiga or did, were you just into the Amiga and not even bothering to look at the PC? You know, I think well, I think the PCs that I was seeing at the time they were running EGA graphics, um, and so they were, they, were, they were pretty crude. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I, you know, I had an Amiga, and uh, all my friends had Amigas. I mean, nobody nobody really knew had PCs at that time. Um, so the yeah the, the Amiga that was kind of the the de facto for, uh, de facto art machine that I was going to work with for a while. Cool. Um, well, how did you take you know what you learned from Deluxe Paint and uh, kind of transfer that to uh, what you're doing now? Um, so, it, it, I think it was kind of, I think it was kind of a natural evolution going over to Photoshop. Um, so I, I, I think I dropped the, I left the Amiga scene probably '95, '96, and I and I went straight on to uh, to Windows platform and I was running Photoshop, and it was it was kind of an easy transition. I found a lot of the the keyboard shortcuts they were all similar, um, and the the layout, the the tool menus, it was it was all really familiar to me. So I I think the Deluxe Paint just gave me that foundation that I could just I could just continue on with, and uh, you know it's, it's kind of continued with me ever since. Yeah, yeah. Now, are you a, a, a graphic artist by trade these days? Um, I've I've kind of. Uh, taken the uh, the career path away from graphic design these days. I'm I'm a web developer, um, so I, I let somebody else do all that work now. Really, <laughs> it's very specialized these days. Everybody kind of has their own role to play in creating. It's it's so much different than you know. We look at all these games where the same person did the art and the and the graphics and the music and everything. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely a much more refined uh, set of skills now. Now, um, when you back when you were using D Paint. Uh, did you actually, you know, do get do paid work with that? I mean, as far as design? Um, no, I didn't. Um, it was it was really it was uh, in an in an amateur um, sort of capacity. Um, okay. I, I did use it for uh, in in a lot of coursework, mm-hmm. um, doing titling sequences and uh, and taking the the anim format mm-hmm. and carrying that over to a PC along with some, some Vista Pro animations and doing some and compiling them on a, on a PC um, at that point. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, all, uh, all amateur, definitely. Uh, do you remember what version of uh, D-Paint you were using? I thought it was four, um, but, uh, but looking back, it, it had to be three. Um, I, yeah, so I was, at that point, I was using like a five-year-old piece of software and it was, and it was still... It was still pretty awesome, even in 92, 93. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned that you were you were a fan of uh, Eric Schwartz stuff. Did you ever try d- uh, dipping your toe into pulling that Disney like cartoon making software? I read that he used that quite extensively. No, I didn't. Oh, the the animation that I was doing I was doing directly in Deluxe Paint. I mm-hmm. uh, I never I never had a, had a chance to try the other one out. Cool. Uh, well, tell us before we let you go. Tell us about your favorite Amiga memory. Um, you know, it's, it's probably, it's probably that first time that I saw an Amiga running, um, FA-18 Interceptor. That was, that, that was that point. I didn't, I didn't think anything like this was possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was, and it just amazed me that this was this, this shop in, in Perth, Western Australia, this, this small town and, and it had a dedicated dealer of Amigas. Uh, I thought that was pretty awesome. 
I think for, for so many of us that, you know, the first time that we see a new piece of technology, almost the, the promise of the technology and your imagination starts working with, you know, what it could possibly do is almost, you know, sometimes better than what actually happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Did, uh, you, did you end up getting that game? <laughs> I did. I, I, that was one of the, I bought it on budget um, in about 94. And, oh. uh, and then recently in, in the last six months, I, I found it again on eBay. I had to get a box copy of it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us, Will. Uh, we really appreciate your, your memories and, and your expertise with uh, with talking about V-Paint because, you know, Aaron used it a little bit. I've never I've never touched it. So we were, we're, we're glad to feature it on our show with somebody that really was down in, in, in the trenches with it. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And we're back. Uh, we are done talking about Deluxe Paint and we are getting started about talking about Rainbow Islands. Oh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> Rainbow Islands, um, this was a, a Taito, Taito, how do you say it? I say it uh, both ways, <laughs> Taito and Taito, whichever way the mood strikes. Um, Japanese developer, most famous probably for Space Invaders. Had a ton of good stuff, Arkanoid, mm -hmm. Chase HQ, Kicks, yeah. another great one, yeah. Bubble Bobble. And uh, it was developed by Graft Gold. So, uh, what can you tell us about Graft Gold? You know, I'd never heard of Graph Gold until I, until I began researching this. They're sort of an interesting out, outfit. They were a uh, they were uh, um, a little group that sort of ended up specializing in conversion to a certain degree. Uh, they came around in '83 uh, when a guy named Steve Turner decided to concentrate on producing games. They did a lot of stuff uh, for the uh, the older systems, the the C64 and the uh, and the like. Uh, I think they did some, uh, um, you know, some of the British British machines uh, work on those. Uh, they worked uh, hand in glove with an outfit called uh, Houston Consultants, and they um, they were the UK's most successful computer game publisher at the time. Um, the reason I love this, the guy that ran Houston had his own cassette duplication plant. Wow. And so <laughs> they would they would uh, be able to make I guess it'd give them a cost break when they were mm -hmm. making the games, um, and eventually Houston um, was bought out in '91 by 21st Century Entertainment, all, all the pinball guys. Mm -hmm. We we just did so that's that's kind of a neat co connection it. there. Um, anyway, as Houston Consultants was flopping towards the end of the '80s. Uh, the Graph Gold guys moved over to another outfit uh, called Telecom Soft, the software division of British Telecom, which I thought that was amusing. That is funny. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, Graphcom ended up right about now. They started doing your, your, you know, your big conversions, and they did Rainbow Islands. Now, Rainbow Islands was a, was a, probably their, I would say, their biggest title. Um, and but due to contractual things, that's why Ocean ended up releasing it. Uh, but, and not the telecom company because of some kind of crazy stuff that was going on with rights and you know lawyer lawyery stuff. Uh, since Rainbow Islands was a hit, uh, Graph Cold got a lot of conversion work, and they did a couple. They did some really good stuff actually uh, that we will probably have to hit someday. Uh, they did um, they did a game called uh, uh, Iron Man Stewart's Off Road. Which oh, we, they, we, they did. Were they responsible for the port of that? They, they did. They did that. Okay. Uh, they did a uh, they did a game called Flying Shark, 
Which is an arcade? What's an arcade conversion? <laughs> is that real? Yes, Did you just is. make that up? No, in a flying shark. Hey, <laughs> hey, what's scarier than a flying shark? Right? Um, they uh, they had a good run, that, but they ended up changing hands a lot because uh, the '80s was closing up, stuff was drying up. You know, it was getting harder to get the to get anything cooking. They ended up going to. They were owned by Virgin for a while. They were they were in bed with Activision for a while, and um, as the eight bit era ended, they pretty much they ended that was the end of them. They did a lot of stuff. I I, I kind of looked over their their list of the stuff they did. And some of the stuff I was surprised um, for our C sixty four fans. They did Uridium, which is a pretty big game on the C sixty four. They did a game I liked called Alley Cat. I don't know if you remember that. It's another C sixty four game. Of course, they did Rainbow Islands. They did a game called Bushido, which I remember playing. Um, they did uh, uh, they did Off Road for the Game Gear and the Master System. They did a lot of Sega stuff. They did Fire and Ice, which oh. is a game that comes up quite a bit. They did Uridium Two for the Amiga, which is another popular game. Um, they actually did a, a, a version of Rainbow Islands for the for the PlayStation. If you can believe that, hmm. which I thought that was neat. They did another game for the PlayStation. Uh, they finally tanked, uh, uh, you know, they tanked after they couldn't get a foothold on the PlayStation. The money dried up. Everybody got laid off. Done deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, they had a good run. They had a lot of good titles, you know. So, uh, but this was, I would say, of all the things they did, and they did, you know, that list, there's some pretty good stuff. And I'd say this is probably their most popular, certainly on the Amiga. This would have been their most popular title. Yeah, um, the the game itself uh, is a platform, uh, vertically scrolling platformer. You start at the bottom of a level, you work your way up to the top. Um, there, your your primary means of transport, besides you know walking and jumping, is uh, these rainbows that you fire. Hence the name Rainbow Islands. Um, there is no explanation as to why you are able, as a small human, to fire rainbows out of yourself. But the game does have an interesting backstory. Uh, the game is a sequel to Bubble Bobble. Yeah, I'm hoping you can explain this to me because I wasn't—I never played Bubble Bobble really either, so I had no idea what was happening. Well, there were there's two brothers, Bub and Bob, Bubby. I don't know. I always call them Bub, but uh, he may be called Bubby. That's an odd name, Bubby. Bub's pretty odd too, isn't it? Hey, yeah. Bub. Maybe his dad was Wolverine. Maybe so. Uh, and they were turned into sort of monster-like creatures in Bubble Bobble by some nefarious means. And uh, at the end of Bubble Bobble, um, you know, you, there's I think there's 99 levels. The game tells you at the beginning how many levels there are when you play the arcade version of Bubble Bobble. When you complete all the levels, uh, you are turned back into humans. But I guess there's still trouble in whatever world these guys whatever plane of existence they're on uh, and they have to go back to the islands to save stuff now were you were you a good hand at bubble bobble you know i never bubble bobble seems like a game that i should have really enjoyed but i found it very difficult to play. i'm the same way with both these games it's like i don't know why i didn't play them and and i want to like them uh but it i don't know Maybe it's just too hard. It's too hard. You don't get it right away. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I, I think it, it requires a certain amount of time investment that a lot of art, arcade games, you know, well, any arcade game requires a certain amount of investment. But to really discover the mechanics, I mean, Donkey Kong, you run, you jump, you climb ladders. Those are the mechanics. And now, of course, it's a deep game in other ways. This is a game where you, there's there's multiple different ways to play it. 
And um, the more time you spend with it, um, the the more you kind of discover how ingenious a lot of the, the things are. Getting back to the... So anyway, you got two boys. Now, in Bubble Bobble, one of the main... Um, the, the reasons why the game was so popular is two-player co-op. Mm. For whatever reason, they decided to remove that feature in Rainbow Islands. Uh, it, they have two-player option, but it's two players alternating. I'm assuming it was strictly on the basis of that you just wouldn't work with two people. At the same yeah, time. I guess. You have rainbows everywhere. Yeah, the, that, that must be why. But, uh, you know, it's kind of a downer because they, they took, you know, one of the, the most fun things about the first game and just took it out. Um, but anyway, you've got these rainbows. You're firing rainbows. Uh, the rainbows serve multiple purposes. You can use rainbows to, um, you know, you fire a rainbow out and you can climb the rainbow. It allows you to kind of uh, get a little bit higher. I mean, the rainbow is probably a little bit higher than your character's height, but sometimes that's all you need to be able to reach the next platform. So well, you can unless actually, you're me. <laughs> that's true. See the live stream for that. <laughs> yes. Um, but you can actually, you know, you fire a rainbow out, you climb to the top of the rainbow, then you can immediately fire the next rainbow out and climb. So you're kind of making your own stairs and progressing that way. Uh, should you jump, the rainbow that you're on will sink away and kind of disintegrate. But as you jump on it, if you're if you've got an enemy trapped below you, it will crush them, you know, burger time style. Uh, that's just one way to kill an enemy. You can also kill enemies by firing the rainbow directly at them. Uh, however, if an enemy were just to run into a rainbow, it can, will actually climb over. <coughs> the top of it just as you can so they're not it's not as if it's a fireball and it will immediately kill it you have to you have to hit the enemy in certain ways it's an odd weapon like mr deuce ball just you just throw it out there and hope something good happens right um now the the levels uh scroll vertically you've got kind of a screen and then when you reach the top that the the screen will scroll to uh another screen uh it's it's pretty smooth scrolling uh, it's not as if it is a, um, well, I'm trying to think of a good example, but what's a game where you get to the top of the screen, everything freezes, and then it will move the screen down? Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I, I can't think of one off the top of my head, and I know there's a million of them. Just know it's not one of those. Sort of, um, like, sort of like, what's that uh, Activision game where you're the miner, and you have to drop the dynamite, and you have to you get on a level, and then it kind of, it's the same kind of thing. Help me out here, Bode. You know, Hero? Activision, Hero, that's yeah. it, yeah. Yeah. Um, now the game is pretty generous with um, with collectibles. Uh, yeah, there are like <laughs> yeah, there are eighty different types. Oh, but there's that many. <laughs> there are that many. Holy now, smokes! Unlike Zool, where things just don't even nothing about Zool makes sense, including the the His name. myriad items <laughs> that you collect. Uh, there are you know the green pepper is the the item that's worth the least amount of points. It's worth ten. Uh, the money bag is worth 10,000 points. Did you ever see that? I never saw the no. money bag. Um, and uh, the way that it works is each bonus object you collect produces the next bonus object in the sequence. Huh. So eventually, you're going to wrap around after you've destroyed 80 things or caused 80 of these collectibles to appear. If you don't grab that money bag, the next thing you're going to hit is the green pepper. So it's rough. So getting the money, money bag is t- just like real life. Just like real yeah. life. Um, now you can collect the items by walking over them or you can hit them with the rainbow. So you kind of have a projectile that kind of a boomerang sort of thing where you can collect them that way. Uh, and the objects stay on the screen for a good amount of time before they disappear. Um, the, uh, the music is one of the more unfortunate things about rainbow. Well, I mean, it's 
close to the arcade. I mean, well, it's one of the more unfortunate things about the arcade version of Rainbow <laughs> Islands. Uh, they it is a sort of reworked to avoid copyright issues version of Over the Rainbow. It's more like Under the Bane Row, <laughs> right? And this thing loops and loops and loops. And the, the first time you hear it, it's not bad, but it just grates on you after a while. Now, I've heard, thanks to the stunning review posted by Dreamcatcher, that when you get to a boss, the music does change. However, when you're of the skill level that the Amigos represent, ah. uh, we do not see the boss. So um, You know, what would have been nice is if they'd put a Lemmings here. Lemmings has many, many levels and many, many tunes. Right. So even if you get a tune that you think stinks... There's another tune coming, and exactly. it might not be as bad, or it might be good. Right. This, you're, I mean, again, I don't blame them. It's a conversion. They're like, well, this is what played perpetually in the arcade, driving people insane. Maybe that's part of the difficulty level. Now, what the Game Boy Color version of this did was they just took the whole song out, and they used the music from Bubble Bobble. Is the music from Bubble Bobble better, in your opinion? I, you know, I can't remember it right <laughs> offhand. I'm just saying. It might be. If you can't remember Ralph Hand, it's probably not that good either. No, no. Um, now, the, uh, the, this, this was ported. Oh, we forgot to say when this came out. This was released in 92 on the Amiga, I believe. Is that right? Uh, in 1990. 1990, yeah. okay. And it was, uh, 80, it was released in Arcade uh, 87. 87. So, so pretty close. Yeah, yeah. Um, this, is, uh, this, this game was ported to almost everything. Um, yeah. It came out on the Mega Drive, the the TurboGrafx-16, the PC Engine. Amstrad. Um, Amstrad. Any any Archimedes love? I didn't see the Archimedes. I've got all the ones you mentioned, plus oh, here's the FM, te- the Towns Marty. The Towns Marty, wow. We've we got to get us one of those boats. We've got an extra couple grand. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, the uh, TurboGrafx, the, uh, the Color Game Boy, uh, the NES, the PC, Sega Master System, Mega Drive, Saturn. Saturn, got I love Saturn and PlayStation. PlayStation Two. Wow. I, I'm guessing that was a virtual arcade download. Well, it had to have been part and of, of course the, the good old uh, Specky mm-hmm. got got it. So a lot of systems that's got this thing. You know, it's a, just a sidebar. But uh, back in the old days when I was getting into emulators on the PC, there was an emulator. I believe it was called Rainbow Island emulator, but it emulated all this era of Tato stuff. Really? Yeah, and it was it, it was sort of the big deal before Mame picked up all the. Uh, mm-hmm. Picked all those arcade ROMs up. You know, I hadn't thought about that in a, in a long time. The old, you know, back when they were emulators. Yeah, standalone emulators. Yeah, I mean, like, there was one for all the Capcom games called Callus. I remember that when that came mm-hmm. out. It was a big deal. And it, there were a lot easier, a lot harder to set up back in yeah, those days. I, I had the Pac-Man emulator. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember when I was very, very young, I saw a Game Boy emulator on a BBS. And I was baffled. I had no idea what an emulator was. But uh, but so someone loved Rainbow Islands enough to name their emulator after. And I'm assuming that's why they started emulating the ROMs in the first place, was to play Rainbow Islands. Right. So uh, how did you do on this one, Aaron? Hideously. You saw my score turn to last year. I think it was like 23,750. Not good. Well, I, I managed to top 70,000 on the live stream, which beat my previous record. So I was pretty happy about that. Um, what, what kind of eBay actions this thing got? Um... There's good, good. Well, I mean, if you're in the, much like most of our stuff, if you're in the UK, you're laughing. Uh, uh, they had there's been one sold in the US recently. Uh, it sold for twenty four bucks shipped. Was you that would, a complete copy? That's up in a box. Okay. Um, in Europe, uh, in uh, in the UK, you're looking at twenty two bucks shipped. That's with the box. Uh, twenty two bucks US. Um, I saw many, many copies that were just the disc for ten bucks. I saw a lot of compilations that included this. Uh, on there, so 
uh, your mileage may vary, but it, it can be had for a decent price. Now, have you? Did you see this thing where there's a third one of these uh, uh, parasol stars? You know, I have seen parasol stars just looking through Maine. Uh huh. Do you know what that is? Have you ever played it? No, no. We may need to look at that a little later on. I also I read that this was. Uh, this may have been a budget title, or maybe it was just eventually a budget title, because I read that the uh, it was that Ocean had. I guess maybe they released it after. Mm-hmm. Like secondly, under the I guess Ocean has a distributed uh, a uh, a publisher called the Hit Squad that yeah. they use to. I guess so after it gets greatest hit status. I did notice that. So and this thing, like I said, uh, it was very popular. It, it reviewed very high. Uh, Magazines anywhere from I think the lowest I saw was like somewhere in the high seventies all the way up to the ninety seven percent. One magazine, I think it was Amiga, Amiga Action. I think it was a gate was said this was the best Amiga game of all time for for several years running. It's high praise, and uh, several others had it ranked in the top thirty. So the game, you know, and it. I, haven't, I played the arcade game before I tried it on the Amiga. I'd not played this on the Amiga, and I'd had just a cup of coffee with the arcade game. Uh, good translation. I mean, I felt about the same. Of course, it's up up the jump, uh, but uh, in this game, it works okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that's a pet peeve of yours. Yeah, but it, I don't mind it on 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 games like this for some reason. It really, it's really the scrolling platformers like Turrican and stuff. That yeah, yeah. I uh, I thought it was an interesting game. Uh, I stink at it. Uh, it's one of those games we were talking during the live stream. It's a game where I may have to sit down with it for a while and learn to get into it. You know, uh, I can see it being your type of game, but uh, one thing I did read was the Amiga version lacked uh, two of the levels mm. that you would get uh, in the arcade, which I believe adds up to twelve levels mm-hmm. of gameplay. So that's kind of a bummer. Uh, and they and I also read I don't know what this means I guess at the end of these levels there's some sort of progression of the storyline, but uh, they said these levels were uh, had progression of the storyline. I mean, when since they were gone, you didn't see that chunk. Of well, the game. it's it's funny because you actually don't find out that Bob and Bob are the guys from Bubble Bobble until almost the end of the game. Really? Yeah. So they didn't advertise that on the cabinet or anything. Well, you think wasn't it called something something the sequel to? Uh, Bubble Bobble, I thought that was like in the title. Somewhere. I don't think so. I think it's just called Rainbow right. Islands. Yeah. Um, it's neat that there's a. Prog- this doesn't seem like a game that would have a story, but it does. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's Japanese, mm-hmm. and this thing is Japanese as hell. Yeah. You know, to be fair, the guys are little big-eyed guys, and they, they run amok. So, you know, it's colorful. Me and my kid played it. He hated it. <laughs> so he liked it at first because it was pretty, but then once he started playing it, he said, I, "I don't like it." So, of course, he's six, folks. <laughs> but overall. I, 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 um, I'm not going to say anything bad about it because it's a good version for an arcade game. They did a, they did a good quality job. You know, if you're into the arcade machine version, absolutely give it a shot. Awesome. Well, uh, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Will Williams, Zach Zimmerman, O'Brien's Retro and Vintage, Chad Halstead, and Brent Dowdy. Thanks, guys. Uh, and uh, if I left you off, I, I feel like there might be one more sponsor, but I accidentally deleted all the names last time. But we'll, well get you back on there. Well done, bud. Next week. Those are the guys that make angry, too. <laughs> we love you all. <laughs> and um, But anyway, uh, if you'd like to uh, sponsor the Amigos and uh, help keep us going, you can visit our page at patreon.com slash Amigos Podcast. Uh, one more thing before we leave uh, for the week. Uh, please, and both referenced it earlier, go check out Dreamcatch's uh, our, uh, blog on this. Uh, it's outstanding. He did a really good job getting into the nooks and crannies of, of the game. So he always does good work. If you get over to our webpage, 
uh, or our Google Plus page or our Facebook page. Check his stuff out. It's always top shelf. Yeah, and um, also uh, I released the very first video of me playing an actual game on the Amiga 500. Yes. Uh, so that it's uh, super hang on. Uh, I've got some cameras mounted and uh, on on the Amiga, so you can see the disc access light. I've got a camera on me. I've got a camera on the screen. There's cameras everywhere. It's beautiful, man. So um, check that out if you want to see more uh, real Amiga videos. Let me know. And uh, next week we are going to tackle that classic puzzle platformer, God. Yes, it should be interesting. Uh, I haven't played this one for a while, but I seem to think it was an, a very unique title. So until then, adios. adios.